Welcome in, everyone, to a Thursday morning edition of Locked On Knicks. Coming a day late, breaking down the Pacers game because neither of us could catch the game on game night, but that's okay. It's just another loss, whatever. But first, we're going to get into James Dolan and some very provocative comments that he had on the Michael K show on Tuesday afternoon. And then, because we're optimistic people, we are going to start off talking about some positives from the Knicks Pacers game. Some tough shot making from Emmanuel Moutier, if, if you want to call that a positive. Uh, Kevin Knox actually was efficient scoring the basketball. So we'll, we'll, we'll get into those two. And a sneaky good game from DeAndre Jordan. And then lastly, we'll finish off with some negatives, because nothing like ending on a negative note. We're going to get into a little bit of the negative part of Moutier's game. Uh, Mitchell Robinson, unfortunately, was a negative. Trier was a negative. Dennis Smith Jr. in some ways was a negative. Pretty much everybody but Knox, by and large, was a negative at some point in this game. And even Knox himself had some negatives. So plenty of that to get into when we get back to Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Knox, foul from behind, Kevin and one, as Fisdale pokes his fist. What he does is he contagious. Oh, Robinson with a catch and slam. Across the lane to Trier. Trier drives down. Because infectious. Locked on Knicks. Started Alex Wolf here with Gavin Shaw. We are breaking down some stuff. First off, we're going to do the breaking sort of news. It's not quite breaking now. We're covering it a day late, but you know, it is what it is, man. We gave you guys some sweet uh, Captain Marvel themed scrawl content the last two days, which hopefully you guys enjoyed. Uh, but so James Dolan went on the Michael K show which seems to be his preferred avenue. He's definitely more of a K guy more than a Francesa guy, it would seem. Uh, he seems to, anytime he wants to clear the air about something, he goes on the Michael K show uh, for, you know, whatever, half hour, hour, however long. And uh, so he went on to, first off, sort of address the whole ban gate thing or whatever you want to call it, where he banned the fan for yelling at him to sell the team which is just stupid first off because how are you even going to enforce that are you literally handing out a mugshot to every fucking security guard like that whole thing never made sense to me how are you going to ban somebody from msg how is anybody how is everybody going to be on the same page as far as keeping this one person out so on top of the fact it was just grandiose and over the top and stupid he decided to address it uh dolan according to him was ambushed he said he was ambushed by these this fan and and uh you know it was premeditated and he thought it was you know a, a whole thing that the guy had planned to strictly get under Dolan's skin or whatever and he said these people clearly were there for a confrontation so whatever cool uh i guess maybe more noteworthy which we'll get into in a minute he had a quote where he said new york is the mecca of basketball we hear from people all the time from players from representatives about who wants to come we can't respond because of the NBA rules, etc., but that doesn't stop them from telling us, and they do. 
I can tell you from what I've heard, I think we're going to have a very successful offseason when it comes to free agents. So it reminds you a bit of a a certain president of the United States, the way that he talks there. If if we're being totally honest, just his his general uh, way of speaking. But it's uh yeah, I don't know, Gavin. I, what do you think about first? I guess we'll talk about the band gate first, because that's kind of the first item. And that was the whole reason he was on there to begin with was to defuse this whole stupid situation that he himself created. Well, well, my initial concern is now we're going to have blue and orange uh, MKGA hats out there, in which I'd have, to, I'd have to quit this podcast and I think I think go back to the next one. But uh, yeah, it was. I mean, first of all, just just the use of the language ambush. Like I think that's that's stretching it a little bit when there's literally a barrier and um, and an elevation separating you from all the fans. So I, th- I think ambushed is is already a little melodramatic to begin with, and I, I just I mean I mean to me the most like Trump part about it, and I've I mean obviously there's the Dolan J Trump account out there which is just great, and I, I've made the comparison between the two just talking amongst friends before, and, and you notice a lot of similarities like largely running incompetent organizations and aggressively defending it and attacking anyone who criticizes them. Um, in Dolan's case, I think his history is any one time someone criticizes him, he just calls them an alcoholic, uh, regardless of whether or not they are, or if he has met them outside of the one time they criticized him. Um, in this particular case, uh, Dolan claims that he was going to um, try and make things right with his fan. He was going to bring the fan in to talk to the team and, and show them the upside of, um, of these young guys and, and kind of get them excited about the next future and say, like, hey, I'm not such a bad guy, which honestly would have been kind of nice. It would have made me think a little bit more of Dolan. And it, or allegedly he found out that um, all of this was, quote unquote, premeditated and the fan planned it out to send the clip to TMZ which seems kind of nuts because it was obviously just Dolan's decision to ban him for life. And I don't think the fan, uh, I mean, you can kind of tell by the video he's not acting. He seems like legitimately distraught at the point that Dolan bans him. So I, I just thought that was um, a really poorly done, but I, I admire poorly done spin job, but I kind of admire the ambition of it because he really just tried to turn it into like a mission impossible movie in terms of the mechanics that this guy went through to try and frame Dolan allegedly. Yeah, you know, the crazy thing, though, is I I almost wouldn't put that past some jackass to do. Like, we really do live in a society where, like, outrage creates clicks, and people know this now, and you see it all the time. I mean, it's a much greater scale, but look at, like, two things that have been in the news recently. Uh, the guy from Empire, Jussie Smollett or whatever, like, uh, having the people, like, beat him up to try to get a raise uh, on his TV show. And then the guy from uh, the the kid from Twitter, this the kid, like, conservative kid or whatever, that, like, framed uh, or, like, tried to send messages from his own fake Twitter account as a death threat to him or whatever. I don't fully understand that whole situation because I stopped reading about a couple paragraphs in. But... Yeah, I I wouldn't. I, basically, my point is, we live in a crazy internet obsessed world right now, and I would not put it past somebody to be staging something like this. That said, I'm also not entirely willing to give Dolan the benefit of the doubt here either. So I'm just going to assume that the truth is somewhere in the middle with this whole thing, and just kind of call it a another like Dolan fuck up 
basically is is what i would call this one and also maybe some malicious intent on the part of the fan too but i, I don't know i don't really care well, i just yeah, no, I, I just wanted to immediately go away basically <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm i'm with that i don't know i think i think pretty clearly what happened is like i guess you could you could say the fan pre-planned this in the sense that he wanted a video of himself yelling at Dolan to sell the team. And then he was going to post that to his Twitter and maybe it would get like 50 retweets or whatever. I don't think he was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get myself banned. And then I'm going to sell this to TMZ like that. Yeah. That just seems like such an insane stretch to me, but um, yeah. either way, I, I guess we should, we should say the more significant thing to come out of this interview because Dolan saying crazy things about and making up lies about people who criticize him is, is sort of his MO and not really surprising at this point. What was interesting to come out of this was was Dolan just like telegraphing that the Knicks have been talking to an agent, which I can't imagine um, that agent, uh, whoever it may be, and whatever player that agent may represent, is very happy about Dolan just airing that out, um, particularly if it's a guy on um, the best team in recent NBA history in the midst of a title run who really, really hates media attention. I can't imagine that guy would like that that much if all if all that was true and about that guy. But uh, I, I don't, I, I don't like Dolan putting it out there. But I don't mind hearing it just because it's kind of reassuring, and it's just going to make it that much more heartbreaking when nothing happens this summer. Well, he made it like he he went for like the the closest he could possibly get to tampering without actually tampering. And I give him props for at least being like smart enough to plan his words carefully as far as that went, because. You know, he made a point of just being like, oh, we hear chatter around the league that people are interested in us. And like, I guess that's totally legal. I don't know. I don't know, like what constitutes tampering and what doesn't. But like, technically speaking, I don't think he tampered, which is good. But he also dropped this little nugget that he and the Knicks are confident that they're going to get some sort of free agent this year. But like, yeah, I, I'm tempering my expectations, too. Uh, I'm still... Just kind of holding out hope that like uh, the Kevin Durant contract is basically all but signed, um, and that he he is legitimately um, you know kind of premeditating coming here to <laughs> to use Dolan's words. Uh, this is a premeditated attempt by Kevin Durant to sign with the New York Knicks, uh, uh, and I'm just I don't know. I'm hoping against all hope that that's the case because I would hate for something so stupid as like Dolan banning a fan and then like speculating live on television, you know, on television and radio that uh, the Knicks are going to get free agents to be something that would like offhandedly turn a guy like Kevin Durant off and be like, wow, this guy is as big of a clown as we thought that he was. And I'm not going to go there. So I'm just, I'm going to just be very cautious with the whole thing. (laughs) Yeah. What if, what if Dolan just like, doesn't under like because I, I also an, another underrated part of this interview. I don't know if you saw this, but when he was listing off young Knicks that were promising, he had to look down at a sheet of paper to figure out who they were and read off that sheet of paper because he couldn't remember their names. So I think just based on that, there is a small possibility that he has no idea um, who's actually good in the NBA. And in his mind, um, Dragon Bender's agent reaching out to him was a sign that the Knicks are going to have a very promising offseason. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't totally rule that out. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just, <laughs> you know, it's funny. I just distracted myself because I was, I was reminding myself of the other part of this interview that I'll, I'll read the other quote real quick. This is another 
very uh uh very trump-esque thing of dolan to do <laughs> he did he said that he he bashed bill simmons because bill simmons had said that he was courting offers to sell the team and this other quote is there are teams that do not want us to get free agents some in particular simmons is very close friends with the gm of one team <laughs> What they're doing is they're trying to destabilize because they know we're favored. Oh my god! Oh my god! That, that, could, just, that could just be a Trump tweet. Like you just like replace like free agent with um, like oil reserve, <laughs> and like and that's that's done. And I loved them. Um, I because I I think I I knew what the obvious response was, and then Simmons like tweeted it. Like like oh yeah, like saying James Dolan is gonna leave is is really gonna discourage free agents from coming there. Like like the perspective that Dolan is operating from. If I'm not here, why would anyone want to come? Which, yeah. the, when the antithesis has probably been true for quite a while. I mean, I guess, like, maybe, you know, to get back to the part about him looking at the names off the binder, though, maybe that's the most encouraging part of this whole thing, is that this is the biggest proof that Dolan is actually very hands-off with the team at this point, that he can't even remember the names of the people currently on the team without looking at a binder. That might actually be a plus rather than a minus, you know, the more I think about it, because yeah. that means that he's like truly still hands off, as he said, he's been since like before Phil Jackson. No, I actually give him credit for that. Like I've I've actually like I I mean, it seemed like Phil was operating with like full uh, autonomy. And, and to me, that was almost like I remember when they hired Phil, like that was sort of the greatest upside of it was if you give this guy 60 million dollars and, and he's Phil he's Phil fucking Jackson you can't really mess around with that if you're Dolan because he just commands that level of respect, even though it maybe ended up that that wasn't necessarily warranted. And I, I think you're right. That is, it is a positive sign that that's kind of continued when you don't have a Phil Jackson level guy. And in fact, you kind of have Dolan's own guy in there in Mills, which the idea of giving someone like Steve Mills, who I, I mean, again, we can debate the, this season and like what he did in the draft, which is obviously really good for the most part. Um, all we want, but doesn't have a long track record of success. And maybe Dolan could have taken that as an opportunity to kind of snatch back some power and question decisions. But I don't think he has. So, I mean, for for everything I'll, I'll criticize him about from his Trump-like manner of speech to not knowing the players on his team, um, I will I will give him credit for that. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. I don't think I really have anything else to add to this because it's, it's starting to get me a little worked up talking about Dolan this much. Yeah. So I think we should probably jump to our first break. <laughs> well. We'll take our first break and then come back and break down the Knicks' loss to the Pacers on Tuesday night. Welcome back into Locked On Knicks. Uh, we, we got through our uh, James Dolan as Trump segment that we've just been dying to do all season. We were really holding that one in reserve. We wanted to save it for a big night, and, and tonight was the night. Uh, thanks to Dolan giving that uh, mostly embarrassing interview. Uh, let's get on with some basketball talk. The Indiana Pacers beat the New York Knicks last night, 103 to 98. They were up by 17 in the fourth quarter. The Knicks ripped off a 14 to two run. Uh, didn't allow the Pacers to get a bucket for five minutes. And I mean, I, I didn't think it was necessarily exceptional defense, but just on paper, uh, one of their more impressive defensive stretches of the year. But, uh, I don't know about you, Alex. This was a game that left me feeling kind of lukewarm at best. Yeah, it it left me with that empty feeling that the, you know, not as great losses leave me with because it just kind of, you know, the final score makes it seem like it was a pretty tight game. And I suppose like 
by normal NBA standards, it would be a tight game, but it kind of just, it felt like a kind of like cat and mouse game, you know, between the Pacers and the Knicks. Once the Pacers like finally started hitting shots in the second half, it was kind of just like the Pacers were the cat, the Knicks were the mouse and they were just kind of playing with them. And, you know, every once in a while, the Knicks would seem like they were making a a charge back, but you know, in your heart of hearts, you kind of knew it it wasn't going to happen, not against that team and, you know, not in their building and not, you know, with so many, of the Knicks that normally contribute in foul trouble and things of that nature. I mean, cause you had, you had Kevin Knox with five fouls, Mitch with five fouls. Trier was like horrible, just ice cold Dotson. I mean, he shot well from three, but he all in all didn't shoot very well for the night. And like, basically I, I guess moral of the story is if you have a game where Emmanuel Moutier is your standout player for the whole game, and even if, like, to his credit on offense, he played – he had some stretches where he actually played pretty well. But if, if he's, like, the top guy that you're relying on in any given game, chances are you're probably not going to win that game. Yeah, that's that's a pretty good indicator. That being said, he did um, – and I guess, like, this this is sort of a I, – I feel like sometimes we're, like, simultaneously, like, too hard on Moody and we turn him kind of into, like, a punching bag just because he's, I mean, clearly, like, not going to be on the team for long. And and just in that sense, like, it's hard to get excited about anything he does. And he sort of has that inherent limitation that even when he's playing really well, like he did tonight, like, it just, I, I don't know, I mean, he did have four assists and four rebounds. But at least in my mind, it just feels like he possesses the ball for such long periods of time and hijacks possessions. Like, even when he's, like, really shooting well, it feels like that, like, he needs to be shooting like he did tonight just to be, a net neutral. And if he's not, he's a negative player just because of how much time he takes on the ball and um, it, lack of other areas that he contributes. But he did make a couple of really insane shots. He had that one layup. Where I think um, Kenny Albert pointed it out. He was literally like one on five, like driving into the Pacers defense and he like flipped over, got it to go, um, hit a, a tough turnaround in the first, hit a three to end the third, and then made like a 28 footer with in, in the final 40 seconds or so to cut the Pacers uh, lead back to three. So there, there were a couple good moments for him in there. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I know we were going to try to keep it like mostly to the positives in this segment and like his overall scoring and efficiency was a positive, but, and like, I'll, I'll give him props. Like his three pointer looked really good tonight, which is always nice to see from him. I guess like he has, he and DSJ are so similar in that regard, at least right now. Like I hope DSJ can fix his shot uh, over the summer maybe, but like they're either like shooting in rhythm or completely overthinking it, uh, both those players. And on this particular night, uh, DSJ was overthinking it and Moutier was just playing in rhythm as far as his shooting goes. So his three-point stroke was definitely there. Uh, he went three or four, which, and, you know, as you mentioned, he had that one down the stretch that brought the Knicks within a couple points to, you know, end the game before the, the Pacers just ultimately put it away. But... To, to reference the shot that you said that kind of impressed you, I hated that shot because he, he drove it straight into the teeth of it was literally a 1v5 break. Like all five guys knew, like they must have read the scouting report and known that he was not going to look to either side. And everybody collapsed in on him in the paint. And somehow he managed to do that weird shit where like he kind of like pulled the ball in and it almost looked like he was going to fall over and like dragged his foot or whatever, like a wide receiver in football and like threw it kind of, it was almost, 
it, it looked almost like a hip shot at one point, like the way that he was coming up with the ball. It was, it was just very strange. And he managed to make it go in. But I, I just I was not impressed with that because if I recall, I didn't write down like who exactly was where on that possession. But if I recall, he could have tried to at least thread a pass over to the one corner. And I think it was either Trier or Dotson was in the corner. So a guy who definitely has shown the ability to hit corner three pointers. And instead he just kind of, you know, lollygagged his way into five guys and kind of finessed his way into actually making a shot. But that was, I, that was probably my least favorite play of the game for him to be totally honest. Even if it was the most impressive, I just hated his mindset on that play. And I think that's generally like the biggest problem with Moutier's game and why I don't really have as much. Like I do feel bad sometimes piling on him, like particularly when he has a good game like this by his standards, at least, but I don't really, because a lot of the same problems that Knox are like supposed scoring wing of the future, like that we hope turns into a guy who's just basically a scoring specialist. A lot of the same pitfalls that he falls into Moutier also falls into with the, with the tunnel vision and the, like generally not looking for teammates at appropriate times. And just uh, when he does find teammates, sometimes I, I mentioned this on the last pod, but he just, he puts it so far off the mark. There was one of those with Trier tonight or Trier could have had a corner three and Moutier put the ball like three feet to Trier's right. And he had to like almost fall out of bounds to catch it and then completely lost his opportunity to shoot the ball. So anyway, sorry, ran over. Hopefully we could get into something else positive. Or if you want to talk more about the good parts of Moutier's game, I just, so many things that he does just frustrate me. Yeah, just to be clear on that one play, I'm 100% with you. I mean, it was like an insane shot to take, but it was just sort of like the best possible version of Moutier, like like poor decision that like somehow goes right. And and he did like, I don't know, I thought he, his, his jumper, I mean, you already mentioned it, but it looked like really, really good tonight. Like that 28-footer was just like, beautiful just just a beautiful looking shot so i will i will give him some credit for that and also give him credit for having a uh, four to one assist to turnover ratio where uh, dsj had just three assists and four turnovers but we'll get into that more next segment in all likelihood uh do you want to talk about uh how about we talk about kevin knox a little bit and his deep his defense will squarely i, I can't help myself his, his defense will squarely be in the negative category because he just looked like a cardboard cutout on that end, but I thought his jumper looked good. Like he was clearly like he was very patient and he didn't force up a shot when he wasn't in rhythm, which I feel like that's been an issue for him in the last couple of weeks where it's almost seemed at times he's going out of his way to get out of rhythm. I mentioned a couple games back. I think there was like a 16 footer where he was wide open and he just sort of inexplicably faded away on it. And to me, that's just sort of the total lack of confidence when you're making easy shots tough almost as a way to preemptively justify missing them. And in this game, he, he was just really calm. He took his time, got his feet set, got a good arc on all of his shots, and uh, four for five from three-point range. So I, I don't – you can't really question that. Obviously, again, the defense wasn't good. Did have five fouls in just 25 minutes. But um, given the way he's been playing of late, this was, this was, I guess, something. Yeah, I actually don't even like – like, he definitely got cooked on defense a few times. Like, he got – like just thoroughly like manhandled by Thad Young once or twice. And he got blown by, by uh, who, who blew by in that one play. I forget. There was like one play where he got like mega, like blown by on defense Yeah, and it wasn't super pretty, but like, I think it's Bojan. Yeah. Oh, it was, it was. Yeah. He, he had his way with him early and then Thad Young kind of did in the second half. But like, I actually, 
I guess this goes all the way back to like, like when I used to play basketball in high school, I had this coach one time that was like, it was like, I need you out there, like almost fouling out every single game, because that at least shows me that like you're doing something on defense, you know, like you're, you're like, I used to play like center. So you'd be like, oh, you got to go out there. Like you really got to like beat some people up, like actually foul. Like I want to see you fouling. Like that's like part of the game for you. And so like, some Anoxus fouls are kind of dumb, but like I give him at least props for like trying in that regard. Like hopefully this, hopefully he'll start doing better on defense sooner rather than later. But at least like having him in positions to defend where he can even like commit a foul is a plus to me, like a very small plus, but hopefully a, a stage in his defensive development. But his offense, yeah, it was awesome. Um, most of his offense came from the three-point line. You know, like you said, he was four from four for five from three, which is awesome. And he was five for nine overall, which uh, I he's probably shot over 50% only like two or three times in the last like month and change, if not more. So it kind of a, a landmark when, uh, when he does shoot over 50%. And yeah, I, in general, I liked how he played. Um, I made a note too. You know, there was that um, there was that play last game where he had looked for Dotson over on the side and he had found him for a three-pointer that we were, like, gushing over because it was a standard, like, Knox drive where it looked like he was either going to, like, flail into contact going towards the rim like he normally does or he was going to uh, go for the floater or something. And he kicked it over to Dotson on the side and Dotson hit a three-pointer. In this game, he didn't get an assist off of it, but he made a similar play again and uh, hit Trier in the corner. And this time, instead of throwing it cross-court, he actually made a good read, and, like, he was he was on the right hand, like, elbow by the three-point line, started his drive in, and then kicked it to Trier on the same side in the right-hand corner, like, kind of with not, like, a no-look pass, but, like, a, a quick action, you know, to get it behind him. And I thought that was impressive. Like, those are the sort of things I, I want to see pop up more and more for him as the the tail end of the season ticks down here like I've seen enough of how he shoots the ball and how he you know drives and how he does that sort of thing I'm I'm really curious though to see if he can keep adding these like smart decisions into the games even if it's only like one or two per game where he looks for a teammate like that like coming out through a drive or something I, I think it's very useful and I thought it was a good development yeah, and he, he had another one of those in, in the Kings game where he was driving, and I thought this might have even been the best pass out of all three of those where he, he sort of, like, over his head threw a little hook pass to DeAndre Jordan that Jordan proceeded to dunk. And, uh, yeah, you're right. He is, I mean, clearly that's something the coaches are emphasizing to him because we, we saw those, like, repeated clips of, of Dotson and other guys just looking, like, heartbroken in the corner while, like, Knox tries to barrel through two defenders in transition. Um, so I, I do I do think that's a positive indicator for him. And the thing is like, I mean, if his offense picks up the way it looked like it could earlier in the season before he just fell off the face of the earth, he he really just needs to be a functional passer to hit his upside as a player. Like he doesn't have to turn into LeBron. He doesn't have to turn into James Harden. If he can just make the smart functional pass time after time, which is something that players who come out of college, not initially passers, especially young guys, 
sometimes do learn how to do. So I think it's a really good sign that we're seeing moments of it. I, I do think it needs to pick up even a little bit more because one one per game, which is kind of what we're seeing now, is still sort of an unacceptable rate for any guy who plays like 23 to 25 minutes, no matter how young you are. He, he needs to have just a couple more of those per game. And obviously, I mean, sort of the biggest thing inherent in that is that he has so much trouble beating guys off the dribble. He almost never collapses the defense. And that just makes it sort of inherently difficult to make those kind of passes because they just don't become available. So I guess it's all it's all sort of tied up into his dribble drive ability. And it'll be interesting to see if he has another level there or if we have to wait for next season to see that. Um, I guess last two positives we can quickly say uh, DeAndre Jordan, really good line. 12, 16, 5, uh, had one play where he just yammed on Miles Turner where he got an offensive rebound, and Turner, like, wasn't really expecting it, and Jordan, like, he, he looked like he was, like, 25 again. He, he just just got off the ground so quickly to just dunk it in Turner's face. And then uh, if, if you want to call Damian Dotson a positive, uh, 6 for 16 overall, but did go 4 for 8 from 3, had 13 points in the first 19 or so minutes of game time, not even the first 19 minutes that he was on the court necessarily uh so again another hot start for him and a slow finish but i i lean towards the positive just because he shot so well from three again yeah i i would overall call dotson's performance a positive i think dotson's feeling like some pressure on him right now to be a, a consistent scoring presence for the team and like to his to his credit he has been like if you ran the numbers for this game, his uh, I don't know the formula entirely offhand, but his true shooting percentage would come out a lot better in this game because of the fact that he shot so well from three, uh, it, you know, versus just his standard field goal percentage of 37 and a half. But yeah, I thought like it was a good game. Go ahead. Oh, no, sorry. I was just going to say it would be like it'd be like 50 percent, which. Yeah, that's what, that's what I was thinking. You know, not like not great, but not, you know, terrible either. Um, I actually for a different note on Jordan, I mean, I liked the the dunks and the rebounds and all that stuff because it's kind of what we know about him. But he, for one thing, led the team in assists with five. And then I've noticed, for whatever reason, maybe it's just Fizdale empowering him because he's like the one like true vet left on this team now that's playing consistent minutes. You know, you could say Lance Thomas, but Lance Thomas was like never good. So I don't know. Uh, I'm sure the players respect him, but I don't know how much like on court respect he garners as like a mentor type guy. Um, but Jordan has been like really tasked with running some of the offense when he's out there lately, which is strange because I've never really seen that out of him, like at any stage of his career that I remember, because he was always just kind of like the vertical lob threat guy. But they've consistently been like giving it to him on the elbow and like to his credit, I mean, he had five turnovers tonight as well, which is also a team high. So it's not it's not perfect, but it's been interesting to just see. Like he's definitely made some good reads uh, out of the you know he gets it kind of on the elbow and will like post up there and then you know he'll either find a read or he's even like kind of taking guys back them down and and taking like little baby hooks and stuff like that. And it's been kind of cool to see from him. I don't know because I guess. I always just probably just mostly from the highlights and stuff. Cause it's not like I've watched like every Clippers game or every Mavericks game or whatever from the last couple of years. I, I always just kind of thought of him as just strictly like mostly a lob threat and like right around the basket. And, you know, he didn't really have too much in the way of skills other than that, but it's been kind of a neat development to see from him. Yeah. The, the back door he had to DSJ for like the second bucket of the game was a, was a really nice look. And I'm in total agreement with you. I didn't really, 
know he had that in him. I will say the one downside of like that kind of offense, like especially with like against a good defense like the Pacers, they just kind of put two guys back on that and said, okay, you want to run these cute little like dribble handoffs? Like we're just going to keep two guys in the paint. And someone like DSJ would like speed around the corner on a handoff. And like the theoretical advantage of like a handoff is that like your man's going to be chasing you from behind and you and he's going to have to catch up and you're going to have that head of steam going towards the basket. But it, it's sort of a combination of DJ being the one handing it off um, combined with the fact that like the Knicks don't have a lot of good shooters that like there was just no respect for like the guy just theoretically stepping back and taking a three and two defenders could just sort of sit back on it. And it, it, it stagnated the Knicks offense at times tonight, though. I guess that that's sort of more of a talent limitation than a design limitation. So I, I won't really blame anyone for that too much. And I'm, I'm generally in agreement with you. Uh, I think uh, unless you unless you have anything to add, Alex, I think we can just about wrap up on positives because we, it seems like we're already touching on negatives anyways. Yep. Yeah, let's move on. I'm ready for negative time. <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll take one final break. We'll come back. We'll get negative. I'm locked on Knicks. For the first time all season, we'll get negative. And welcome back to the third Negativo segment of Locked on Knicks. We're getting into the negatives. There was plenty. Uh, I guess I'd be remiss if, first and foremost, I didn't put the most important player on the Knicks right now at the forefront here. Mitchell Robinson probably turned in uh, I, I'd probably be willing to call this his most disappointing game of the year given the fact that like we have these set of expectations that we have for him now and this seemed like it was a big one for him because he was going up against Miles Turner and seemed really excited because like Miles Turner leads the league in block shots. Um, to Mitch's credit he his stated goal, as reported by Rebecca Harlow on the broadcast, uh, was that he wanted to outblock Miles Turner for this one, <laughs> and he did. Yeah. Uh, Turner had two blocks in 37 minutes. Mitch had three blocks in about 13 minutes. The only problem was he also had five fouls in those 13 minutes. Uh, he also had seven points and two rebounds. Uh, I just, I don't know. To me, this was just one of those games, Gavin, where Mitch was just completely taken out of it i thought um it, it seemed like they had the right plan of like always keeping someone between him and the rim by and large uh which is kind of becoming the book on him pretty quickly is that like you always need to have a body like a big body between him and the rim and that at least cuts out some of what he can do to you um but like other than that obviously the fouling he was he was kind of fast and loose with the fouls. I, I didn't really – there's not too much more you can say about it. It was just like him making dumb rookie plays, you know, which he's bound to do from time to time despite being a super rookie like he is. Yeah, it felt like a little bit of a regression to a degree. There was even one play, and and you give him credit. like, And I think, I think we set expectations almost a little bit too high for him at points because he is so smart defensively. But I remember um, there, there was that one play where Sabonis tried to go right at him sort of low over his shoulder and like Mitch just came in and like swatted it and I was like okay that's awesome because Sabonis has honestly just been like lights out against backup bigs this year and seemingly scores like anytime he wants but then the next play like they ran like this like delayed like pick and roll and he came up and sort of inexplicably doubled the ball handler and he let Sabonis just get a lane um as as far as his offense goes I I I, I'll I'll say two things I think one I'm in total agreement with you this sort of showed the limitation of his game like if you're a smart mobile defender like miles turner and, and you have the wherewithal to know to scramble back 
there's not a whole lot he can do because if you beat him to that spot around the rim, um, you can you can try and throw him a lob and maybe it'll be successful. But Turner, one of the few guys in the league that could actually jump with him and contest that. So I, I mean, I give credit to Turner. I think I think the Pacers' defense as a whole is just awesome, and, and you kind of saw that for stretches tonight. Like in some ways, I even give the Knicks like some level of credit just for getting to 98 because this team is really really sharp on the defensive end, and they were locked in for most of this game. Um, but I, I will say part of it um, isn't even on Robinson. Like if he was playing with more talented guards, like all of a sudden as a big, you you can't necessarily do that. Like right before we recorded, I was just watching the first half of Golden State in Houston and, and just the way that Harden and Paul create shots for Clint Capella. And I know that's something I reference a lot on this podcast, but it's just a completely different universe than playing with this current crop of Nick's guard. So I, I think that sort of inherently makes um, life tougher for Mitch. But you know what? Going forward, he's going to have to add like that little push shot that Nikola Jokic does so well in the lane. He's going to have to be able to take one or two dribbles and finish that way. Um, and there's just going to have to be a little bit of variation in his game. And, and the good news for him is he's so long that that's sort of an inherent advantage that'll make any new sc- skill he acquires just that much easier to actually implement in a game. Yeah, and we've talked so many times, too, about how quickly he learns things so i have faith that he'll be able to add things to his game sooner than later that will counteract whatever people are doing to stop him uh i want to move on though because talking about mitch not being good makes me feel uncomfortable uh so i think we should probably go to trier next i think trier was trier probably had his worst game in a while i don't know probably probably about a month you know we were talking about kevin knox having one of his best games in a month and change, but I think Trier easily had his worst in at least a month. He started off 0 for 7. He kind of, I thought, uh, he ended up 3 of 12 uh, for 7 points, and I honestly thought that, um, and he had 4 turnovers to 0 assists too, I should just add, which was not good as well. I I thought that he kind of went back to his tendencies that he had during his bad stretch, like in December to January when he was just kind of like trying to get that like first shot or two to go in to like set the rhythm for himself. But in the meantime, it, he kind of just turned into a chucker for a little bit and was just kind of throwing him out up there, whether it was a good shot or not. Took a couple of uh, mid range shots that weren't too good. His three pointers were like all over the place. Like they were long, they were short, they were off to the side. I mean, they were, I, I felt like, Every shot that he took over this first seven were just like horribly, horribly placed. And uh, yeah, I just I, I didn't really enjoy his game. This is one of the few Trier games recently where I didn't leave with at least like one silver lining. Like I just I other than the fact that he at least put together a couple of made shots towards the end of the game. But like beyond that, I was uh, I was. Yeah, his game was just like disgusting for. Yeah. The most part, <laughs> yeah, I think he, he was he's kind of due for a night like this. Obviously, um, a, a couple nights back, I'm trying to remember. I think maybe the second Kings game, he also wasn't very good. Uh, but yeah, he he was just sort of due for a, a night where a shot wasn't falling. And I, I will say, I think it was pretty indicative of his night that far and away his best play of the game was a miss where he got a steal, started like s- sort of going half speed up the court. And and Thad Young just totally thought he was going to pick his pocket, and Trier just toasted him going behind the back, and, and then was sort of did like a like a look back as if he was going to pass the ball, uh, froze Bojan, and, and had a wide open layup, and he missed it. And like to me, that sort of perfectly encapsulated 
Cruz, <laughs> like even even when he did everything absolutely perfectly, and it was it was kind of a dirty play in, in a lot of ways. He he just couldn't hit a simple layup. And and you know, was, it's it's yeah. funny when I was watching that one, I I legitimately like audibly made a noise and was like, oh god i'm like how do you miss that layup like you yeah. just you just had what it would have been like that would have almost been like a sports center top 10 even though it wasn't a dunk right like that behind the back was so filthy and yeah it, you're totally right that was probably the most encapsulating play of the night because like it, he did two good things but the one bad thing completely negated the whole thing yeah now that's that's entirely a sum above it all right, uh, if we want to get into further negatives, uh, let's let's quickly touch on uh, Dennis Smith Jr. We were talking about a pre-show a little bit. I, I think you made an astute point then that him getting in foul trouble sort of wrecked his whole night, and he, he just never, like, I feel like he didn't even play in this game. Like, it, it, just, it just sort of felt like he never really got into rhythm in any meaningful way, and he ended up, I, I was surprised even looking back at it that he got up eight shots because, like, I, I felt like after the initial lob that he had to DJ and then the backdoor layup he got. Like, I, I can't really remember a meaningful moment until the very last play of the game where he came within inches of this amazing chase down steal um, that would have uh, potentially given the Knicks a chance to win. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was a weird game for him. I, like, just like you were surprised that he got up eight shots, I was surprised he played 25 minutes, to be honest. I would have figured that he played, like, 15, like Mitch, you know. Um just in general, it was like my my main takeaways, as you said, like I thought that he got in foul trouble that screwed with his rhythm. His first foul was just incredibly stupid. Like he, Dennis Smith, I actually really like Dennis Smith, and I think he, I think he has a better head on his shoulders than he had credit for. Like coming here, like it, it, he got kind of a rep as like a hothead in Dallas because like apparently he and Carlisle were kind of butting heads or whatever, but. I think he actually does have a pretty good head on his shoulders, but every once in a while, he just like, he like lets the beast out. You know what I mean? Like it, the other day he did it when he, sh- uh, who did he shove like last week or oh, whatever? Bielitsa. Yes, that's right. Yeah. He like got in Bielitsa's face and shoved him during the Kings game. And then today he's like running over to try to track uh Collison or whatever. And Thad Young like set a screen and, Smith just like runs into him and like pushes him. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Like he literally like flagrantly went up, like went into young and then it fully extended both arms and pushed him back. And I'm like, that's going to get you a foul like 100 times out of 100. If a ref is anywhere near that. And of course there was a ref staring directly at him as he did it. And then he picked up the second, the second foul was more legitimate. Like it was actually like a shooting foul where he was trying to stop a layup, but it's like, okay, well, if you hadn't committed that boneheaded foul like two seconds ago, then this would only be your first foul and you could have stayed in the game. Instead, he got yanked. And then, you know, it kind of became the Moutier show after that because, you know, I've, I've already mentioned like he and uh, probably the reason that we don't remember much about Smith is that he and Moutier played a, a fair number of minutes together down the stretch of the game. And when it's Moutier and Smith, it's the Moutier show. And Smith is just there to like, work off ball mostly and stuff because like for whatever reason, despite Smith being all in all the better initiator, they don't run Smith as the point guard when it's Smith and Moody. So yeah, just the uh, utterly forgettable game for him and kind of disappointing because I really like before he got those two stupid fouls in the first quarter, he was kind of off to a good start. Like he hit 
as you said, DeAndre Jordan for the the first bucket of the game on alley-oop. And then he took a nice backdoor cut from DJ on the next play. And I think he might have hit even one more shot uh, before he got yanked for the foul trouble. So, and, and just all in all, seemed to kind of be greasing the offense along better than Moutier ever does. So, disappointing game just in the sense of, like, what could have been, I guess. Because, you know, he kind of shot himself in the foot early. Yeah, I just, I feel like, and maybe this is, you could make an argument that this is just sort of the Dennis Smith story. And this is who he is as a player. And, and it's why, like, he's just never going to be that valuable but I feel like even though he's I think he's played like like about 15 maybe even like over that games for the Knicks at this point like I, I just I still sort of feel like I, I just can't gauge how good he is and that's probably that probably tells you like all right if you have like no fuel for that after that many games and like nothing he's done outside of a couple of dunks and like that one Pistons game stands out as all that special maybe that maybe that just tells you who he is but like I, I just I just want to like know more at this point, and I feel like I don't know that much about him yet. I I think that he's shown, like he he definitely has had more good games than just that piston game. The biggest thing with him lately is just that his shooting has been so busted. Like if he could just even like begin to fix that. Like uh, during this this game with the Pacers, he had one trip to the line, uh, so he only shot two free throws for the whole game. And he missed both, and it was just, it was, like, painful to watch him shoot those free throws. Like, he's just so in his own head right now as far as shooting goes. And, you know, it's it's to the point where it feels like he hasn't, he hasn't made any more than, like, 10% of his free throws in the last month or so, despite the fact it's probably more like 50%, but, which is just atrocious for a guard. Um, but, it, yeah, it's, I don't know. I don't know what it quite is with him. I definitely see the flashes of, like, a player that can be good for sure. Like, I think he's, I think he came here very underrated as a playmaker. And I think that, uh, that's shown through a lot. Like I've talked on here before about how he just kind of can magically conjure up five, six assists in any given game. And you don't even really notice that he did it. Um, but you know, he's gotta, he's gotta straighten some things out for sure. And part of it, I think is just going to be mentally, you know, I think he's got to screw his head on right. As far as certain things go like the fouling, you know, like he did today, which he's, he's shown a penchant for stupid fouls like that before. There was, I I was just thinking about it again. There was definitely another one too, where he straight up like tackled somebody at one point. I forget. This was like five, six games back. He like shoulder blocked into somebody. I forget who it was. Yeah. But you know, just stupid stuff like that. He's just gotta, he's gotta really clean up the the margins here at this point and just kind of like get focused on, on like, advancing himself to the next level because he I clearly think he has the tools like I look at Moutier and I don't think he has the tools I look at Smith and I think he does have the tools yeah I don't know I think it's it's hard to there's there's obviously I mean I I don't even want to compare him to Moutier because you're right I mean Smith is clearly in a different class but it's almost it's sort of similar to like the Kevin Knox thing where like at some point like you just you, you have to see it with some level of consistency and obviously with Smith it's it's even a little bit more pressing because he's two years older and obviously not a rookie and um, I mean just with the idea that like they could be putting together a big trade package for someone this summer depending on how this on how the offseason goes you, I I just I, like I've said this before I've said this a million times I, I just want 
an absolute feel for the end of the season about how good I feel he can be. And and you're right. I mean, saying he's only had one good game is, is wrong. And I, 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 that wasn't necessarily what, what I meant. I, I guess just like there, I, I would almost say like he's only had like one or two like complete games. Like I, I need to see like a stretch of him playing good basketball that lasts longer than a couple of quarters. And I, I just don't think I have for any significant amount of time so far. No doubt. Yeah, I, um, I'm in agreement with you there. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I'm about ready to wrap this one up. What no, do you let's, think? Let's go to, let's go to overtime. I, I'm not talking about this game anymore. I think we're like 40, 45 minutes in. Yeah, so overtime. I have, do you have anything for overtime? I actually have two things today. I, I have nothing, so go, go ahead. I'll play off you. Okay, there are two very small things. Uh, one, <laughs> Noah Vonley, and this dates all the way back to when he used to like wrestle rebounds away from Ennis Cantor. But Noah Vonley is like the most aggressive rebounder. Oh, I did write this down actually, but yeah, go I've ahead. like ever seen. And at one point, Vonley went up for a rebound, and him and Kevin Knox were both going for it. And Vonley like legitimately almost bodied Kevin Knox and like threw him to the ground for this rebound. And the the on court mics you could pick up, and and I just heard Knox yelling, "Same team, same team!" <laughs> Vonley, <laughs> and I found it very funny. I I don't know why. It was just like. I, I could just imagine Knox being like, come on, man. Like, that was going to be, A, that could have been my rebound, and B, like, I you outweigh me by, like, 100 pounds. Like, please don't destroy me. <laughs> yeah. No, um, yeah, because I, I, literally, I literally took a note that play, and I think overall, like, the Knicks maybe do this more than any other team in the NBA, and I can only, because I, I mostly just watch Knicks games at this point, I can really only base it off, like, the Knicks opponents. But it feels like that happens, like, twice a game where two Knicks, like, go for the same rebound like I feel like um our DSJ is involved in, in quite a few of them as well which is just like like amazing to me like on a team that's like so bad that like that's like I mean like on certain plays and like maybe it's like if, if you want to give them the benefit of the doubt and say like okay they're just like playing as hard as they can and they're like laser focused but like the idea that like guys are like trying to pad like their rebounding numbers in this season which like maybe maybe this is the time to do it but it's just like it's just like nuts to me yeah yeah, and then my my second overtime nugget was a Clyde nugget. Uh, although it wasn't really a Clyde thing, it was just Clyde introduced me to a thing that I I had never really heard of before, and also something that I totally don't think would fly today if it was like produced today. Because uh, they were talking about you know they showed like uh, some little highlight packages of old Knicks versus Pacers series and stuff like that, like from the nineties, and. Uh, Clyde's like, yeah, they used to call it Knicks versus Hicks. And I'm oh. like, oh, oh, that is a cold burn on the on like the whole state of Indiana right there. <laughs> like they just all, call their whole state a bunch of Hicks. And I was like, I don't I a, I'd never heard that because, you know, you and I are well on record that like we are mostly turn of the century Knicks fans here. But like, yeah, it, I just found it really funny. Like I was trying to imagine like if. Some like if I don't know Stephen A. Smith or something would try to make that a thing in 2019. Like, oh, the Knicks versus the Hicks. Like, how well would that go over in 2019 if that was a thing that came out? Yeah, that's I I completely missed that. But I just I I love the idea of him saying it because he, he could he could say the most offensive thing in the world and you wouldn't hear any malice in his voice at all. So I I just. I, I might I might go back and rewatch the whole game just to catch that moment, uh, but yeah, I, I can't imagine that would uh, that would go over super 
duper well. I'm not, I'm not going to, uh, with apologies to all of our Indiana listeners, I'm not, I'm not going to argue that he's, he's totally off on that assessment, but I also, I don't know if you can say that on TV. Yeah, I, I just, to, to your point, Clyde's delivery of it was, you know, as usual, like adorable. Like it was just like, oh, ho, they used to say Knicks versus Hicks. <laughs> you know, like he did like the little Clyde chuckle afterwards. It was, it was perfect. It was exactly how you'd imagine. Yeah. Anyway. He, he, well, yeah, I was just going to say, he, he could say like something like completely horrible, like like back uh, in in the 70s when we were playing, we used to eat kids pregame and it would just, the mic would be like, oh, Clyde, you you, you guys were crazy back then. And Clyde would be like, yeah, yeah it, was different. it was a different time, Mike. It was a different time. <laughs> Seriously. All right. Well, I'm going to wrap it up, I think, because we've gone way too long on this. We go, you know, these freaking losses, man. You know, you'd think that we could get this over within 20 minutes and we still wind up talking here for like a 45 minutes but that's okay um before we go i want to just remind everybody about the the viewing party tomorrow again so because this is coming up rapidly it's coming up on friday uh so friday night 8 30 p.m at john sullivan's on 210 west 35th street we're doing a meetup uh for the knicks versus spurs game there's going to be $8 cash beer wine and well drinks all night the cash proceeds will go to the garden of dreams foundation this is a Locked On Knicks event, along with Posting and Toasting, my blog, uh, Knicks Film School, Knicks Fan TV, Gotham Sports Network, Hard Knicks Life podcast, and the Knicks Time Show podcast. A whole bunch of your favorite Knicks content creators are going to be there. Uh, so, you know, uh, us weird, like, I guess we're like pseudo-celebrities. I don't know. I, I refuse to think of myself as s- someone that people, like, are think of as a celebrity because it's weird to me but uh you know your favorite nicks like pseudo celebrities from twitter or whatever uh come out have fun drink some beers uh any cash proceeds from the drinks will go to the garden dreams foundation they're giving like 25 percent of all cash drink sales to garden dreams i think we're also going to do a 50 50 raffle which that will go towards garden dreams as well so it's a good time we did one in november we had a great time then i'm sure we'll have a great time this time around too and i hope to see you there uh and then yeah that's it um gavin you have anything to add before we sign off for today yeah one last thing uh big guest coming up tomorrow i would i would say uh, biggest guest that uh, you and i have ever gotten on the podcast with apologies to all of our previous guests who have all been great and we've loved having all of them but uh this is uh, definitely the most well-known person that we've had on and uh someone i think a lot of you have fond feelings for and uh has a lot of good stuff to say so i'm I'm looking forward to that i like totally forgot to bring that up i'm so excited about my little party that i forgot about our giant guest also it's gonna be a big friday damn talk about talk about like a big day Knicks game day giant guest on locked on Knicks and a viewing party pretty cool day all right anyway we're gonna sign off thank you all for listening Remember to ask your smart device in your car, at home, wherever you happen to be to play podcast Locked On Knicks next time you want to listen. Save yourself the trouble of selecting it with your thumb. And that is all for today. Thank you guys for listening. And we will check in with you tomorrow with our huge guests.